Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today we have a very familiar verse found in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, which says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a tremendous verse that really explains salvation. All of us are sinners. We've all done things that we're ashamed of. We've done things that we know are wrong. And uh, sometimes we have great guilt over those things. And it says that the wages are of sin, the payment for our sins is death. And that's the eternal separation from the God of the universe. And it also results in a place other than heaven. And so this verse is sort of negative when it starts out, but it becomes very positive because it talks about a gift. The second part of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you want to have eternal life, and if you don't want to go to that bad place but go to heaven, you need to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. Jesus is the one that did all the work. He was God. He became man. He went to the cross. He bore your sins in his own body as he hung on the tree. He died, and on the third day he rose again, and he was seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so now when you pray to him, he's the one that uh, can save you. And if you ask him to come into your life, uh, the verse that I used was Acts 16.31, which says, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And as a young boy, I believed that Jesus was my Savior, and I confessed my sins, and he saved me. And you can do the same thing by asking him to come into your life. the special edition directly from the field. Please excuse the quality of this online call. This is a radio edition of Mission Moments, and this is Melissa Vandermeer standing in for Dr. Brian Albrecht. Today, we have Mano Young in our studio, and she's one of our missionaries in India. I, I, I just praise God for, for Miss Esther. There's Miss Grace as well. She also is, um, she did pass on just about two months ago. She was 102 years old, and God had brought her to our home. She was very, one of the very first individuals in 2006 when my parents first started at home. And Miss Grace, to um, her family, couldn't help her. 
she was again abandoned. And so God in his goodness and grace brought her to our home. And since 2006, she has been with us. And she said she would never go anywhere else. And she was fearful that by some instance, she'd have to leave us. But this is her home. Nobody, unless she left only, would we leave her. But this is the safe haven that God provided for her, for her. And the beauty is she came from a very staunch Hindu background, but she accepted the Lord as her personal savior. And even at 102 years old, she could read her Bible, which Praise is such Jesus. a beautiful thing to read her Bible and to pray and sing songs to worship the Lord. That itself is such a testament. And so there's Miss Karunya. Her story brings even more tears to me. She was completely physically abused to just go to these individuals to wrap my arms around them and give them a hug and say, you're going to be okay. And Miss Karunya too, constantly she'd be in tears because of the past trauma of what she's endured. But by God's goodness and grace, again, the safe haven to be around the safety of individuals who care and to constantly hear God's word and um, to experience his love. It just makes such a difference in their lives. And so I cannot thank the Lord enough that all those wounds in her heart were taken away and she accepted the Lord into her life. And I truly believe that she's another soul saved for the Lord. And so praise God for her. And finally, Mr. Simeon, he too came from such abuse. Again, that physical abuse is there too, and mental abuse where they're constantly ridiculed or they're taunted, and there's no peace. There's no peace. And God has released him from all that bondage of pain. And he is now in our home rejoicing the Lord, daily reading his Bible and just praising God to belong to this wonderful family of Konaham. So likewise, there's so many stories I can recount, but the beauty of it is investing my life in these lives so that they too can experience truly what it means to feel loved again, what it truly feels to belong. And so it's just beautiful to see that Oh, taste and see that I am good. And unless we as Christians, unless we extend that hand of love in action, only then can we truly experience how God can work in these lives. So I praise God for our home and for all the testi testimonies of different individuals who can call Kwanahum home. And so it's just beautiful to recount of how the changes have happened in each life. Pray for strength and grace for myself. Because as I said, I had come home to India to obviously help support running Konaha. I pray through God's goodness and grace that I can carry on this torch. It's a huge responsibility to be able to run this ministry. I need to yet raise my support to run the ministry, to enter the ministry. And God, through his goodness and grace, I know will have an army strong to invest in this beautiful ministry that together we can touch and change these lives for the health and well-being of each individual at Konaham, for my staff who tirelessly work day in and day out for patience, that God would continue to give them patience and love. Father, he's 81 years old, but still serving the Lord with every fiber of his being. And so um, it would be wonderful through prayer and um, as the Lord leads through support that God will build up an army strong around us to help support this amazing ministry that God can enable strengthen our hands as we serve him.
Thank you so much for listening to CAS National Bible Hour. As you are aware, this is a listener-supported program, and we cannot continue to be on the air without your support. So we appreciate you praying and asking the Lord how you can help us. This month, we're offering a wonderful booklet, A Thankful Heart in a World of Hurt by Joni Erickson Tata. This booklet I found to be very, very helpful. It does several things for me, and hopefully it will do the same for you. First of all, it explains what true contentment is with the Lord. It talks about having joy in the midst of tremendous suffering, hardship, hurts, and all kinds of difficult people that we run into. I found it to be tremendously helpful to my own spiritual life, and I know it'd be very helpful to yours as well. One of the principles that's in this booklet is the idea of counting your blessings. I remember uh, we used to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I really encourage you to write in to get this booklet, A Thankful Heart. And if you do that, be glad to get you a copy. To order your copy, please write Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7 or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231.
Today's message is from Reverend Art Larson as entitled, The Majesty of Christ. I know that you will enjoy this message and I'm sure it'll have a great impact on your life. Printed copies are available upon request. Officials of a state employment office in Tucson, Arizona, posted an interesting sign over a full-length mirror. Directed to all job hunters, it reads, Would you hire this person? In another office, a mirror and sign join forces to pose this question. Are you ready for a job? These officials wanted people to take a good look at themselves before seeking employment. Now, what about you and me? Have you taken a good look at yourself lately in the mirror? But more importantly, have you taken a good look at yourself lately in the mirror of God's holy word? You see, the Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. To find out what we really look like in the eyes of God, we have to look in the mirror of his holy word, the Bible. Now, if you stood before God today in your present spiritual condition, would he let you into his heaven? Don't be too quick to say yes. I want you to think about it as we continue our studies in the wonderful book of Philippians, a very heart-searching portion in chapter 3. This book, which Paul wrote from prison, the theme of which is joy and rejoicing, reveals some very, very vital and important truths about what it means to be a Christian. In chapter 1, he spoke about the mastery of Christ, chapter 2, the mind of Christ, and now here in chapter 3, the majesty of Christ. You see, Christianity is Christ. When Paul came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and realized his majesty, that he was the King, the King of kings, and that he was the Lord, the Lord of lords, it transformed his whole life. In our last message in verses 1, 2, and 3, we saw that Paul gave a word of wisdom, a word of warning, and a word of witness. We'll continue that word of witness today in verses 4 through 9. If you have your Bible, I want you to follow along. If not, listen carefully as I read the end of verse 3 and continue his witness in verses 4 through 9 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, We worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, that is, in ourselves, in our own self-effort, self-accomplishments. Now listen to what he says as he reviews his background. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks he has reasons for which he might trust in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuse, dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We're going to see in this testimony that the Apostle Paul talks about his past, this is what I was, and his present, this is what I am, and his passion, this is what I do, and also his prospect, this is what I shall be. Every true Christian, born again of the Spirit of God, in whose life Christ now lives, can point to a time when Christ was not there in their life, 
and they can say, this is what I was. And then through faith in Christ, they can say, this is what I now am. And this is what I now do. And by the grace of God, according to his wonderful promises about heaven and his coming back for me, this is what I shall be. How wonderful to be a true Christian. What Paul shares today is that he has no confidence in himself, in his self-efforts. And we're going to see in verses 4 through 7, his bankruptcy, utter bankruptcy in self-righteousness. He talks about it. And then in verses 8 and 9, we will see his beautiful and wonderful and bountiful bounty in Christ's righteousness. What he could never have in self-righteousness, he now possesses by grace, through faith, in Christ's righteousness. Paul talks about his race, his religion, his reputation, and his righteousness in verses 4 through 6. In fact, what he is doing here is listing seven advantages that were his as a Jew in his day. He talks about this because he's saying that he can boast the most of anyone of all the self-accomplishments that supposedly could or should recommend us to God. And certainly he would let us into his heaven, accept us with all of these self-accomplishments. But Paul says they mean absolutely nothing when I compare them to the accomplishment of Jesus Christ, to the person and work and character of Jesus Christ the Lord. Listen to how he puts it. He talks about his race and how he boasts in this at one time, but now finds that he is bankrupt. Then his religion, and then his reputation, and then his righteousness. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. A convert to Judaism was circumcised in maturity, and Israelites were circumcised in the 13th year. But Paul as a true full-blooded Jew, was circumcised at birth. Then he says of the stock of Israel, he was able to trace his lineage all the way back to Jacob, who had prevailed with God and become Israel. Jacob was honored and revered by all Jews, for it was to him the Jewish people owed their, their origin. He says, thirdly, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the only tribe to remain faithful to Judah after the division of the kingdom. Within its borders was the holy city. And Benjamin was also the birthplace of the people's first king, Saul, undoubtedly, whose Jewish name Paul had taken. He says also, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Hebrew as opposed to being a foreigner, a descendant of Hebrew parentage. Both of his parents being Jewish spoke the Hebrew language and knew the Hebrew customs. Oh, yes, he could boast in his race. But he also boasted in his religion as touching the law of Pharisee. The Pharisees were the strong defenders and the best qualified expositors of the Mosaic law. They had also many other regulations of do's and don'ts. In fact, probably near or more than 900 of them. They were very, very self-righteous and recognized as the ultra-conservative party among the Jews. Then he says, concerning his reputation... Concerning zeal persecuting the church, this was looked upon as an honor in those days because people hated these people that claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ. They nicknamed them Christians, Christ ones. 
You remember at the time of his conversion, Saul of Tarsus was on the way to persecute the believers in Damascus. It's recorded in Acts 9. Before he was saved, he stood at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, and he stood there with great pride and pomp. Oh, he had a reputation. He was held in high esteem as he sought to stamp out the memory of this Jesus of Nazareth and all the misguided followers of him until he found out that what Jesus said and who he was was true. But he also talks about his righteousness. He says, as touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And this refers to the ceremonial and moral righteousness claimed by the Mosaic law. It has nothing to do with the inner righteousness. When Saul came face to face with Jesus Christ, he recognized that he was completely devoid of any acceptable righteousness in the sight of God. But as to the keeping of the ceremonial and moral law, Paul was without fault, blameless. And so here he is boasting in race, religion, reputation, and righteousness. How many people today will say, oh, I go to church. Oh, I'm religious. Oh, my father was a minister. My uncle was a missionary. Oh, I believe and give to the church. And, and I try to live a good life. And, and people know me as a fine person and so on. And they're trusting in their race, their re religion, their reputation, their righteousness. I was born in this particular land, and therefore I must be a Christian. How foolish to boast in those things which can, which can never make us right in the sight of God. Because God demands perfect righteousness. And there's only one person who can, who can stand up to that reputation, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul compared his righteousness to Christ, he says it's like refuse, verse 7. It's like refuse, verse uh, 8. It's like garbage compared to to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get mad at Paul when he <laughs> compares his own righteousness to garbage. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 64, 6. He says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. You see, God is simply saying that even though it is a very wonderful thing to try to be good and to do good, that that goodness is not what God will accept. He will only accept the goodness of of Jesus Christ. And so Paul realizes his utter bankruptcy in self-righteousness. And he goes on to say, verse 7, what things, you see, what he had were things. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, without a doubt, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuse or garbage that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but the righteousness which is of God by faith in Jesus Christ." You notice he's comparing things to knowing Christ. He's comparing things to gaining Christ Jesus. He's comparing things to a person. He's comparing things to the righteousness of Christ. My friend, what are you trusting in today? What do you believe will take you to heaven? What Paul is speaking about here is personal and it is positional. What Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus Christ is more than anything you and I can ever have or possess if it relates to race, religion, reputation, righteousness, or anything else. 
it cannot compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying that all the things I once trusted in, all the things that I had, when I realized that I could actually know in a personal way the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, that I could actually have Him and not just these things, then these things were as nothing. They were like garbage compared to the wonderful, beautiful, glorious, and rich person and fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did he gain this personal bounty of Christ's righteousness, he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, but he came into a positional righteousness with Christ. He said, I, I've suffered the loss of all things, and, and I count them as refuse that I may gain Christ and be found in him, in him, in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. This positional wealth that he found was that he was now accepted in Christ Jesus. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. And he no longer had his own righteousness, but he had the very righteousness of Christ. You see, the Bible says, in our flesh there dwells no good thing. Paul said that in Romans 7:18. Then the Bible says, and Paul said it again, that those who live in the flesh, no matter how religious or self-righteous they may be, can never please God. Read it in Romans 8:8. 8, 8. But then the Bible goes on to say that God made Jesus to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, Paul came to know Christ personally. And then he was found in Christ and accepted in the beloved one, Jesus, not having his own righteousness anymore, which was through self-effort, but the righteousness which was of God by faith, the only righteousness which God will ever accept. A pious Sunday school teacher stood before his class and said to the boys as he stood there proudly, why do you think people say that I'm such a wonderful Christian? And one of the boys who knew him pretty well said, maybe they don't really know who you are. Wow. Could, you be so, to, could it be said of you, that you are a true, genuine Christian, not trusting in your own self-efforts, which could never get you to heaven, but only in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. My friend, today, I beg of you to turn as Paul did from all self-effort and to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Receive him into your heart. You will be in him and have his righteousness accepted by God. And that alone will take you to heaven. I know the message you just heard was a great blessing to you, and I trust throughout this week you'll be able to apply it to your life. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're really concerned not only about people growing in their faith and being discipled by the Word of God, but also there may be some listening to us who don't know Jesus Christ personally. They know about Jesus. They may be in a religion, but they don't know him personally. But, and Jesus tells us through the disciple John, but as many as receive him, unto them gave he the right to become the child of God. In other words, you need to 
ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. The reason you need to do this is because all of us are sinners, and the Bible tells us that sin will put us in a bad place. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And then Romans 6, 23 says, But the wages of that sin, the wages of any little sin, any little lie that you say, the wages of sin is death, that spiritual death, that separation from God. That means that you won't go to heaven at the end of your life. But the wages of sin is death. But the gift... The gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. You can do that by confessing to God that you are a sinner and you need grace, that you need a Savior, and ask Him to come into your life as I did many, many years ago. He did, and God changed my life and allowed me to have a life that's been very fulfilling over all these years. And we're giving away this copy of The Greatest Commandment, and if you want your copy, please write to Canis National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And you can find past programs of Canis National Bible Hour on our website, which is missiongo.org. M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. I trust God will bless your life and draw you close to him throughout this week.